Hello, Fight fans, and welcome to the Hollywood Brunettes Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Matt, the store brand Keanu. Alongside me is my tag team partner, the Danimal. How's it going, Matty? No chance in hell, Danimal. End of an era, Vince McMahon walking away, abandoning the throne. I never thought I would see this day. You were the one who broke the news to me. What were your initial thoughts? I mean, I think the first thing that really came to mind was it, it felt like the all-time, like, going out with a whimper and not a bang. Like, you know, it was such, like, a, a bombastic career full of him being so outspoken. And even even when this thing kind of reared its ugly head initially, the first thing that happened was, like, Vince going to be on SmackDown. So it was like, oh, man, he's just, like, you know, flipping the bird to the, you know, the world on this thing. So to then kind of pull an about face and just, you know, on a random whatever day it was via Twitter, retire. I mean, it was it, it's so anticlimactic for, you know, the man that changed the face of an entire industry. I, it had equal parts like it blew me away because he just seemed like he was that old school kind of owner that you were going to have to climb away or he was going to have to die to give up any power. And that was very much the attitude he seemed to have when it first came to light. Like you said, like he literally appeared on SmackDown and like was the opening, you know, act for lack of a better descriptor and pretty much was drawing attention to himself at a time where most public figures would kind of slink away for a bit. And then out of nowhere, it was just this decision that seemed purely rooted in, you know, business practices. But I got to tell you, there was also this sense of like, you almost were shocked that it took this long to happen. <laughs> Cause it's like, when you look at his track record, it's like, how, how did he survive this long without this coming up? No, that's, that's a fine point, especially because, you know, you'd think with the, the influx of workplace empowerment and, you know, the me too movement taking down so many people that had been doing such reprehensible things that that would have been a, a prime opportunity. So I, I don't know if it was maybe him just having such a stranglehold on the industry or what, because the other thing about it that I think, and this may be what really tipped the scales was the initial one. And I think it was Chris Jericho that kind of had this defense for Vince was that like, it was, you know, a consensual encounter with a subordinate. Okay. That's a little frowned upon. And then, you know, he paid some money to get it to go away. But then when this started trending into the very ugly realm of, you know, pay for play and coercion um, with, you know, talent being, you know, coerced and all this, I think that's when all of a sudden, you know, I, I'd be curious how many people were in the know of what is something I'd be curious about if it was like, oh, yeah, Vince will have his dalliance and then, you know, he, he pays, Linda gives the blind eye. But then all of a sudden, when these new things come out, all of a sudden, you know, this company that has become so big in so many charitable organizations and the be a star anti-bullying campaigns, it's like, oh, no, now we don't just have a guy that's, you know, an adulterer. Now we have a guy that's a predator. So I'm wondering if that was where they kind of had to draw the line and maybe tell them that, like, look, you know, this is going to do a lot more harm than good. And I think he's the kind of guy to, you know, go go Game of Thrones and Tywin Lannister on this. I think they were probably bringing up the legacy component that it's like, hey, five, ten years from now, if you step aside gracefully, 
it's the Vince did this and this and this and oh the attitude Austin feud but ah, you know it got a little ugly there at the end but and then you know you kind of gloss over it so I wonder if that was kind of how they appealed to him was look you know if you turn this into two or three years and you know the media machine goes against you you don't want the the people picketing outside of your premium live event drawing attention to you, you know, being this person. So I'm wondering if that may have been really where the shift happened for Vince, or maybe it was just the people involved either got in the know or realized that enough people were that they had to control it a bit more. Yeah, you raised so many interesting points there, and I have a feeling we're going to be all over the place because it really was such an emotional roller coaster. I guess my first thought, and, you know, feel free to throw in spoilers for this but i've never watched succession but i've heard it's a fantastic show highly recommended by you but how many parallels to kind of some of the the plot points are you seeing with kind of the leadership of wwe the family and you know former chairman vince mcmahon you know, I think I think the parallels are definitely there because um, Brian Cox's uh, Logan Roy is this, you know, very obstinate controller who uh, wasn't ready to give control over. I think the only difference is in succession, the children all kind of have the fatal flaw. And I think that's where I, I feel like there's a lot of optimism right now regarding the company as a whole. Like the stock price actually went up, which was shocking. But I can't help but think that, you know, when you look at what happened, you've got Stephanie is now co-CEO along with Nick Khan, who Nick Khan would never try to claim to be a wrestling guy. He's a business guy. I think Stephanie kind of fits in the middle. um, And then Triple H is now head of creative, which is like, you know, this is a guy that took NXT from kind of this like, you know, whatever developmental FCW to being kind of the brand and the stories that people were the most excited about. So that that's where I would say it deviates a little bit. But I think leading up to this, it was the same thought of like, why won't he hand it over? And whereas in succession, I think there was a question of, you know, someone's going to crash the plane. I think here there was, it was more just the like, he can only, he, he can only, you know, give away his throne or die on it. that, you know, and I, I even heard kind of some of the stories about the, it's a publicly traded company, but the manner in which it was done meant that Vince always had like the controlling interest. Um, so yeah, I think, I think succession is definitely a good, a good call because Logan is so obstinate. I think uh, the other part of it is that Logan had, hasn't had anything quite this. Uh, I, I guess all the bad things that happen are company wide, whereas Vince's downfall is a bit, a bit more of a personal one. So I think, I think that's the greatest difference I see. What about the Shane O'Mac component? Because I feel like that has to have played some of the factor, like him clearly just being off the rails in his last major appearance on WWE and just kind of making it very clear that he was, while he felt very entitled to be running it, he was not ready. Like, how much of a factor do you think that played? Uh, as far as the succession thing goes, that one's spot on because Shane definitely felt like the, like, various Roy children at their worst where it is just like, you know, I think, I think there was some, some stories about, you know, Shane's behavior seeming to use some of the key terms like erratic and, you know, other things. So 
I, I can't help but wonder if there was also probably that fear that maybe Vince just always knew, you know, in his heart of hearts that the company was going to kind of pass to Hunter and Stephanie, but Shane just kind of having that, you know, old school, like I'm the firstborn son. I'm the, you know, look what I've done for the company. And it, it, it's so perfect in the sense that like Stephanie has just been like, grinding away behind the scenes brand ambassador charitable work going on the today show and then shane's just like i jumped off hell in a cell and the titan tron so yeah i think i think uh i I, i'd be curious to see if we really get much shane omak moving forward especially because i think uh i think triple h being the head of creative now is really going to you know nxt was building stars and I think he's going to be a lot more aware of the fact that, like, you know, I mean, he had to, you know, leave his boots in the ring unexpectedly and just knowing that this whole concept of, oh, we'll dust off Brock and Goldberg is, you know, not the way that the company is going to grow. And while he's, you know, I don't think he's threatened by AEW, I think he's going to see a lot of what works on their show and try to implement it. But, yeah, I think I think Shane is definitely the odd man out. And maybe that was always part of it was Vince knew that, you know, I, I guess the other comparison that almost comes to mind is, I don't know if you watched it, but uh, in winning time and the whole concept of the bus family that like Jerry was Jerry. And then, you know, the sons were kind of fuckheads and Jeannie was definitely the one that always probably should have been in control. And, you know, in the end, Granted, they're a little down right now, but she still took them to some titles. So, I, I love that because you answered a question I was going to ask you, which is which sports inheritance would you compare this the most to? I was leaning a bit more towards the Steinbrenner kids and that it feels like they're going to rely a bit more on the Nick Khan or in the case with the Steinbrenners now relying on Brian Cashman to just do his job as being kind of the business guy and kind of, you know, in Brian Cashman's case, the general manager and kind of taking slightly a back seat rather than being the ultra control freak uh, that the father was. So, but the bus family is dead on like right down to the jerk off son who like totally would have fumbled it if he had inherited it. Um, or, you know, the other one, if it had gone to Shane would certainly be uh, the Davis Mark Davis over in, uh, in the Raiders of las vegas but um i digress well you bring up triple h in the nxt development and i i found it really interesting that so many of their top talent who had been released in the recent uh year really haven't caught on anywhere else and it almost gave me the impression that there was some kind of whispers of like saying like look vince is getting up there in age you know if hunter were to ever come back i still want to work for him I just don't want to work with Vince McMahon and take whatever pit and salary he's going to offer or stupid storylines. Like I, again, you know me and I love my tinfoil hat theories, but like, it almost feels like when you get a killer cross kind of character that doesn't jive with what Vince foresees for his major talent, that he tried to bury him with stupid helmets and bad storylines. And then, you know, points to that and saying like, this is why he fails. This is why it's not going to work. You know, we need more guys like Theory, you know. So um, I'm really, really interested to see how much of that talent comes back now that Triple H is the head again. And I'm not sure if you've heard anything that's in the works, but that that's my big speculation right now. You know, I, I haven't heard too much about that. All I heard was that there was this uh, this meeting recently 
where basically Triple H brought everyone in and it was just kind of this like, look, you know, I'm, you know, things, things are going to change a little bit, but it was a lot more like, I, you know, I need your input. I, I know that, you know, this company was at its best when, you know, we were all collaborating. Cause I mean, I think the fact too, that it's like, you know, you want to talk about guys who got over something crazy, like the DX thing well, it couldn't have been, you know, more against where the WWF at the time was. And yet, you know, Hunter and Sean just got to kind of go out there and do some crazy ass shit. And then lo and behold, you know, that helped, you know, turn the tide. So I, I can't help but think that, you know, he's got to be sitting there knowing that, hey, when, you know, I was a 20 something talking to a guy who was in his 50s, I knew better than the guy in his 50s, even though the guy in his 50s is the greatest wrestling mind of all time. So maybe, you know, everyone should be in a similar position. But I, it, it was said that the talent all walked away feeling feeling good because i do think that you know wwe has gotten so formulaic um that i think vince has always been so kind of dedicated to the you know to the next premium live event we're gonna shoehorn the story and just run it back four weeks until the the ple so no i'm uh i'm, I'm really excited to see where it goes and i i think the idea of the roster having some flexibility right now especially because you know there's a lot of injuries going around um like Riddle just, I think one of the most fascinating things that could come up is Riddle, uh, who, you know, they've been building pretty well to and great in the ring and, you know, the stoner gimmick is what it is. But he was supposed to have a match with Seth Rollins, who's, you know, he's kind of one of those guys that getting the match with him on the card is a feather in your cap in and of itself because he's he's gotten to be so bulletproof and he's so great in the ring. So there's a lot of talk about who's going to face Seth. And, you know, all of a sudden with this happening, it's like, does one of these guys who's been sitting on the shelf make a make a shocking comeback at SummerSlam? So I gotta say it's a it's certainly an interesting time, and I I am excited to see where it goes from here because I think they do have a nice mix of talent, and you know I think this is probably going to open up the doors for people to get a little bit more creative. I mean, the the guy I'd be really curious about is Bray Wyatt, just because I think his his mind and his storytelling was always I think a little you know, on the outskirts period, but I'm sure for Vince, especially, you know, that's where I think we just got some of the like weird blow offs in the way that like, you know, he'd be involved in some huge, great feud. And then, I mean, Goldberg pinning the fiend at, at you know, one of the sellouts of, or one of the PLEs of questionable morality uh, was a great example that they, you know, they build this guy for months and months and months. And then it's like, they love Goldberg and they're paying for it. He's getting the belt. And it's just like, man, way to fucking kill that character. So no, I, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be a really fun watch to see, uh, how this new, uh, this new world operates. Yeah. The injury thing is really, uh, taking me for a loop. You know, it, I'm glad you brought it up because that's something that like needs to be mentioned that I, you know, we truly are in, in the, it's not the Monday night wars, but we are in, the closest thing to emulate the heyday of of the Monday Night Wars, where you have a truly viable upstart finally going head to head, and WWE's clearly miles ahead with their their deals with the networks and whatnot. And I know the stock price is ticking up because there's so much ste- speculation that they may sell to one of said networks and just have all that built in content. But AEW, you know, with the product they put out there, continues to gr- gain traction. And is going to impact those negotiations. So 
it really does feel like because it's a comparable setting with two companies going, you know, trying to chase each other in ratings that guys are really pressing out there and gals for that matter. And it's obscene the amount of injuries you're seeing across the board. And it's, it's unfortunate, but I think, you know, like anything sport related, you know, it does open up opportunities and, you know, this could be that real case to see really what some of those NXT folk can do on the grand stage, because while I'm not the biggest fan of the product, I do have to say that you're right. They churn out like some definite talent for certain. And I'm pretty impressed with how they've been able to handle some of the reclamation projects. Like they took a talent when in, you know, a perfect example as we're, continuing to talk, our conversation about uh former chairman miss you know vincent k mcmahon uh mandy rose who was basically just you know an elevated blow-up doll in, in wwe level and then they put her in nxt and she's taken on this persona and actually runs a little faction and actually is really one of the more compelling storylines that you see on their weekly show so um, I think it's pretty cool, like that it truly is like acting as their minor league and they're using it properly. It's just I think now that you get Vincent Vince McMahon's hands off of it, it'll be really interesting to see if it can be a little more on the keel of what we've seen with AEW of giving some more spotlight to maybe some lesser known talent or or bring him up from the ground up. Yeah, I think uh, another person that I think it's going to be really fascinating, especially this uh, this Saturday, SummerSlam, is there's Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey. And Liv won the women's money in the bank and got Ronda immediately, same night after Ronda had a match. And Liv has all this crowd support. Like, she was very much kind of in the, not, not quite as intense as Daniel Bryan, but it was like, she just was getting so, so over that they, they, you know, gave her the shot and she's got the belt now. And this feels like a thousand percent where Vince would have had Ronda win because you got to reestablish that, you know, she's the baddest and yada, yada, yada. And I really can't help but wonder if, you know, this new management's going to be like, look, Ronda just hasn't clicked. Like, you know, she's got the name and everything, but she's just not connecting with the audience. Whereas if Liv gets, you know, a clean or a clean ish win, you know, that place is going to come unglued. So I'm really curious to see if we're going to have, you know, that being the first case of like them doing what I think would differ from Vince because they feel like it's kind of the way to go. So that's, that's, I think going to be an interesting barometer for them in this first, uh, first post Vince uh, premium live event. The fact that it's SummerSlam, I think makes it all the more interesting. I'm really, really curious to to see. And granted, he's at a different level now. He he's he's talent. He's no longer in, you know, decision making, booking roles. But I'm really, really curious to see if they pick Cody Rhodes's brain. Um, now that they, you know, Triple H actually can call the shots and decide who's coming aboard. Because this is the time where, you know, again, I've alluded to it, but this is the Empire Strikes Back right now is like they got the finance and they have the stage to really cherry pick some of that talent from AEW that we have speculated about. But like an MJF who was, you know, we don't know if it's a shoot or if it's if it's actual real life, but, you know, maybe you do go after him. Maybe you do dangle that or or tease it or maybe, you know, 
you even take a factor like I don't know what his contract status is with AEW, but Wardlow's getting over pretty big. And imagine like if you took somebody and just plucked them out. I'm also curious about some of those other ones that, you know, again, the the former talents that, you know, would maybe hated what they left, but might be more open for reconciliation now. Andrade now with his connection to Charlotte is a talent that it's like, you know, maybe he might come back if it's no longer, if it's different leadership or even, um, you know, formerly Aleister Black, but Malachi Black, you know, he, he has a great thing going with AEW, but imagine, like you had said, very similar to the Bray Wyatt, if he's given an opportunity to kind of cut loose and given actual room to grow in a WWE universe. I mean, that might be enticing especially with his wife still being on roster as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really good point that it's, it's kind of this brave new world. So you can legitimately go to talent and be like, look, and you know, you, you mentioned uh killer carrying cross. I still think the craziest shit of all was that he's got his uh, wife, valet Scarlet, who was just a huge part of the gimmick and everything. And same deal. It's just like, you know, why, why would you not have done this? So yeah, I think, I think seeing, seeing who comes back and yeah, some AEW defection could also come up because I think that you do just have the bigger, the bigger audience. You have more programming. Like, you know, it's like, Hey, I, I get that you're getting, you know, a 10 minute spot once a week. Like we can give you, you know, a nice little segment on raw. Like we've got a premium live event every month. Like we'll put you on that. So I think, uh, I think with the storytelling going back to the performers, I think you're right that we could see a little bit of a reversal of course. And Cody, Cody's definitely uh, could be a big advocate for that. Cause I can't help but think that, yeah, he's probably going to have a little bit, a little bit of say as far as triple H's ear goes. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, if anything, he, he's got the scouting report on what to expect from someone behind the scenes, you know, one that, I'll just throw it out there. And again, it's, it's purely speculation, but you have to wonder that they may make the Godfather offer to Moxley so they can do one last run with the shield, because especially with how all three of those guys have elevated since they debuted in that faction, that would be pretty damn cool to do just like one last, like huge, like basically like the original NWO and just tear through everyone. I mean, I know that that's what they're kind of trying to do, with the Blackpool Combat Club, but it's just not hitting, especially because it's so disjointed how they've put them all together. But I, that one, I don't know why he would leave because he seems to have it made. But at the same time, like that would be pretty damn cool. I I couldn't agree more. And that's also that that could also be such an ace in the hole that you know maybe Mox has his contract, but you you find out you're inevitably going to have to you know put punk over because he's the the shiniest and most well-paid toy in the company when he comes back so you know maybe it's okay you know i'll do it but you know maybe maybe you move on because yeah wwe money is certainly uh i know the cons are you know personally wealthy but i'm sure the the contract wwe could throw out it man I, I i can't help but imagine what uh what the crowd would do if that uh shield intro hit because yeah, I, I'm getting pretty excited just thinking about it. So, well, I was gonna no, say I, too uh... that that one would be perfect because I think one of the issues they're having is they don't know what the hell to do with Reigns when he eventually has to give up the titles. 
And that yeah. would be such a perfect jump off, you know? Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, I think that's been made pretty clear by the fact. And actually, I don't know if you heard this. So I'd love to get your take on it. Did you hear about the Brock thing? Wasn't he supposedly, didn't he, the theory was that he walked out immediately upon hearing and saying that he was tied to Vince McMahon, but then showed up later for the main event? Yeah, yeah. So I, but it it does make the question of the SummerSlam match even more interesting because they're bringing back, you know, Roman and Brock, which is, I think one of my favorites is when there was the Cena Rock feud and, you know, they called it once in a lifetime. Then later there was the Cena org match that was, you know, it was a sign that was like, you know, 73rd time in a lifetime and that's basically where we're at with Brock and Roman now that it's you know this time a last man standing match which don't get me wrong is always a, a pretty fun gimmick especially because you can get some real some real goofy shit in those matches but yeah it makes me wonder even more because at first I thought oh, maybe they'll do it but it's like th- does this make Brock even more of a wild card do they make the switch because he can you know seem pretty wild but yeah I thought I thought that was kind of fascinating that of all the people, I, I don't know if I necessarily would have thought that since he famously, I think, won the belt and just threw it at Vince coming in. So I uh, I thought that was a weird little uh, story. Yeah, I, I mean, the fun part with wrestling is you never know what news is real and what's not. Because there, there's also that part of it that almost just feels like that was one of those things they floated out there because they know how over Brock is. And they just kind of want to make it seem like there's like the crap. This was a decision that wasn't made because Vince wanted it to happen. This was a decision made because that the evil cancel culture forced it upon us kind of thing. And who's the epitome of the opposite of that? Brock Lesnar. I mean, I can't imagine he'd have a problem with anybody if they're willing to cut him those kind of checks to wrestle like six times a year. So, I mean, I, I think that's all his concern would lie on. So, uh, but you bring up, you brought up a point, and I want to go back to it with Vince McMahon that I thought was so fascinating. And, and I started listening on your recommendation uh, to the book Book of Wrestling podcast, which is fantastic. It's it's on a level that I hope we can get to someday. But the uh, prologue chapter, when they talk about you know the very famous moment with the click in New York, um. It's funny because that touches on the thing that, you know, Vince McMahon, that was him. When when I grew up watching him, he was always the announcer and he carried himself like the announcer. He had this kind of broke ass Michael Buffer appearance to him and everything was this very big showman. But he never really like made it clear that he owned the thing, even though my dad would be on the couch and be like, you know, that guy's running this thing. Right. And, you know, it, it was so fascinating, like hearing the the accounts from the click members and they're talking about like how basically it really you got that sense of like he was one of those guys that always kind of wanted to be like one of the boys, but never would like really could embrace it because his dad was so opposed to it. And he was always kind of mentored to be this leader. And then the second his dad was in the ground, he booked himself matches and against Stone Gold and whatnot. But. But that seemed like one of the first like real instances where he was kind of like swayed by, you know, the talent and like kind of allowed something to happen that never should have in in the minds of the old school talent because, you know, he just wanted to fit in. And then, of course, he had to come down on Hunter and all the rest of them as a result. But um, it was just really fascinating because, you know, the the click members in particular, you know, like to credit that as kind of the jump off point. And that was kind of Shoemaker's opinion as well that that was the beginning of the true attitude era 
But um, with that all being said, I guess the reason I allude to that is Vince was such a, a proponent as he really fully embraced the Attitude Era of kind of, you know, real life or what's going on in the ring emulating real life. The most famous one I can think of off the top of my head is the uh, Edge and Christian feud over Lita, who um, had been in the mixed relationship with the both of them. And then, um, but you, you have to wonder about the Trish Stratus, Linda McMahon moment where it was when Vince was in the wrestling world was, was with uh, Trish Stratus and Linda McMahon was uh, for the essentially like, in a coma was it not or just yeah it was like a catastrophic a catatonic state i believe is the the choice that was used yeah and then there was famously mcmahon making out with trish stratus in the middle of the ring in front of a catatonic linda mcmahon but but with some of the reports that are leaked and i won't go too into it just because you know it's that's legal realm that's not worth discussing but yeah there's definitely that part where it's like this seemed like this was kind of an arrangement and that would fit in right with that. Right. Yeah. I think it, it's, it's funny because it, I, I also was listening to the book of wrestling recently and uh, the Montreal screw job came up and the whole line of like Brett screwed Brett kind of made me think like, you know, Vince started believing in Vince and it just makes me wonder if you do have that point where, like, if you create, like, the caricature that you're playing, like, how how much does that start bleeding and, like, overlapping? Because it's such a, it's such a once and I, I don't even know what to compare it to because it's, like, plenty of people, you know, get a level of success. And, yeah, there's the fake it till you make it people. And it's like, yo, he didn't really, you know, believe it. But it's it's such a strange thing. Cause I, I think about like the Ric Flair doc and how they talk about how, like, you know, a lot of the problems he had with, you know, his wives and his kids and everything was because he, you know, he lost the line between, you know, the nature boy and the high flyer and all that bullshit and, you know, who he was off screen. And I think that that's not uncommon in wrestling and showbiz, but those people are usually held in check to some degree. So I think the fact that Vince had this, you know, oh, I'm playing a guy who can do whatever he wants and plays by his own rules because he's the boss, but then actually was the boss as well. You know, you can't help but wonder if it's like, you know, where where does that, you know, does the storyline come from the fact that they had, you know, this arrangement existing prior or did like, that you know jump start this arrangement because it's like oh it's just for the it's just for the cameras and then it's kind of like well actually you know you were okay with this so but yeah i think i think everything about it it's it's it really will make us to you know kind of look back on certain aspects of the uh the attitude era with a bit more of a question because i mean i i sent to you the picture of trish with the catatonic linda and i was like does this seem in poor taste now and it was like, I mean, it always was, but yeah, now it's going to make me every time I, you know, see a segment with him and stuff like this. And I think, you know, there was the, even at the time considered pretty trashy, the like Trish Stratus, like dog collar thing, where it's like, oh, you know, he was just this chauvinist showing, you know, his control over women. Now it's like, oh, fuck, like, I, I don't, I don't want to look back on too many of these storylines now. So yeah, I think I, I think it definitely uh, it, it's going to kind of 
how, I guess, how, how does it make you look back on everything as a whole? I mean, I guess some of these storylines with women is one thing, but you know, when you start watching a, a Vince and Stone Cold segment, do you, do you feel like it's gonna gonna impact the Attitude Era in your memory? It's a great question. Um, you know, it, it's and it's a I have kind of dueling response to it. It's like my favorite tweet that I saw in response to uh, the news breaking was somebody saying, "Who would have thunk that the inventor of the bra and panties match would be accused of such crimes?" And I was like. Yeah, I mean, again, we had to have expected that this was coming. Um, you know, it, it was very, very clear that Vince McMahon was, you know, held some very misogynistic old views on women in general, let alone women wrestling, um, which is very unfortunate because there was some great talent that came along that really just kind of got forced to go through that whole ordeal. Um and it's it's sad when you compare the, what we're seeing now with some of the talent, particularly in AEW, but but honestly in WWE now as well, where the focus can now be on wrestling as opposed to just the providing that aspect to it. Um, by that same token, it was a different era and it was the circus. I mean, that's what classic wrestling always was. It's the traveling circus. You're on the road forever and you're coming up with these crazy storylines on the fly. And that's where it's, you know, he was never meant to adjust to the social media world where these people ha are no longer putting on the kayfabe, like appearance that you hate so-and-so or that you're not this like mystical creature that came from hell to choke slam people. Like, you know, these are real people with real personalities that connect with fans in various different means. And it just doesn't match up with that. You know, that's why you see, like, again, going back, you know, AEW and pretty much anything affiliated with them, there's they don't really do storylines. It's all combat focused for the most part. And, you know, it seems intentional because it's that becomes too distracting to try to keep tabs on when everybody kind of is in on the game now. So I have to say, like, while like there are some storylines that remain incredibly gross, I think there's also some that were absolutely fantastic, particularly some of the Stone Cold and Vince things where very clearly you could tell that was they showed up in an arena and just came up with something on the spot. Or it was just you and me are going to stand in the ring with microphones and we're going to make something happen. And I think that that's the true spirit of professional wrestling that is harder to see now that they have they're no longer off when they're not on stage, you know, what I mean, like it used to be like the 15 minutes you're in that ring is you're really only shot to make an impression. And, you know, so you really would see them pour it all into it. And now you see some figures like an Adam Cole, who's like almost more popular when he plays video games and when he shows up and does anything in the ring. So um, I, I don't know. I, I think you're right. I think that they got him with the legacy play specifically because of what we're talking about, because, you can certainly see in a few years that if you can abandon the thought of any of the stuff involving the women's division and, you know, the times when you dropped the end bomb thinking it was appropriate or whatnot that, and just focus on some of the great feuds or some of the great, you know, moments, even the ministry of darkness moment, big reveal, like stupid things like that. Like, it it just again like i said he was the showman in that sense so i i will always have that soft spot i might not talk about him publicly as much but i'll always have that in the back of my head and be like yeah that was pretty wild 
No, I think I think you make a great point. Um, I think that you know the the attitude era in general. I feel like it's not necessarily to say that you know Vince is going to get a pass, but I think you know one of the best ones is probably still the D Generation X blackface Nation of Domination, which is one of those things that it's like. I think basically everyone's under the understanding that it's like, yeah, this was a you know this was a product of the times. We we have to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, you know, the, I I feel like The Rock has probably sweated some bullets because there've definitely been some clips that have resurfaced, and it's like Rock shows insensitivity towards Asian population, and it was like, yeah, it was in super bad taste. But he was playing a guy who was an asshole. Like, you know, you can't get over him too much for that. So, no, I think I think it's also going to be fascinating to watch in the the coming years how they handle him. Cause I, I know that Stephanie rather strangely re- let a thank you Vince chant the first night, which I'm, I'm sure was partially done just to like placate him. So he didn't try to like storm in the ring or anything, but it'll be interesting to see if they, you know, just distance themselves for a while, not unlike they've done with certain wrestlers of the past um, with, you know, a, a certain Hulk Hogan coming to mind who still isn't all the way back, but has, gotten you know a little bit more rub with the company um but yeah i think uh i think it's certainly a passing of the torch and i i I just keep coming back to the fact that i think this could also make for in you know whatever i i don't think we're gonna get the uh the winner of the wars in the same way with one of these companies buying the other one i think you just have you know too many too many billions and billionaires in play but i think this could become a fascinating subplot of this is what happened when the machine that had, you know, I almost think even though I don't watch it, everyone, you know, talks about formula one and the best cars and everything. And I feel like the WWE car has always been better than the AEW one, you know, whether it's the pyro or the stage, or I think one of the biggest ones we've talked about is the way they shoot it, that the camera people and the production team is so much better that they know, like this move in this position is going to look like shit from this angle. Um, but that's not the case necessarily. Sometimes in AEW, you get the awkward, like, oh, this guy clearly, you know, didn't hit someone. But I think now that we've got the WWE machine or car being driven by some people that I think are a lot more savvy to what's going to play, I think this could mark a very interesting turn in these wars. That's a great point. And I think, too, um, while everything you're right the production value of wwe is off the charts and compared to AEW. i also think like they don't get enough credit for their promos because honestly like the only reason i even tune in now for raw or smackdown or when they do the sizzle reel at the beginning of episodes typically after pay-per-views um just because it's it's so well done it gets you so hyped up for the action and then you know it almost always leads into somebody talking in the ring for a half an hour um you know, it's it's a great product. It's and one of the reasons it became great was because they did kind of allow things to run its course a bit better, whereas AEW is a bit just disjointed and there's so much going on. There's familiarity. Like there's a reason everyone remembers Stone Cold because they tried them out there every night in every city. So everybody got to experience a bit of it. 
you know, same with the rock, like everybody got a taste of it. Everybody got to see Cena, everybody's seen Orton and all of his different, you know, his iterations have changed slightly, but for the most part, it's, you still kind of know, everybody identifies and says, I know who Randy Orton is. It's going to be a lot harder to do with some of these other talents. And I think that that's something that, you know, because they, the WWE, they have so many reaches and so many means to maintain that, especially with young kids. Um, you know, that's that's their stability right there. Um, but at the same token, again, it's fascinating because you have Vincent, Vince McMahon, who at one point had to be convinced to bring aboard an Asian uh, female wrestler only because JR had to convince him that men watched Asian porn as much as they watch regular porn. So it's kind of like, who's running the show here? Are they competent? Are they capable of adapting to the new world we're in? Or are they just the same old schmucks who've been sitting around a room spitballing ideas and doing dumb shit? It's fascinating because you see so much of that talent like refuses to go away. Like Jim Cornette's one of the greatest examples who just has his little podcast and loves to spew off all sorts of nonsense and horrible shit and people tune in, you know, but it's very clear that he's always trying to get back to that. And, you know, I have to ask you, Danimal, what do you think the odds are that Vince actually stays away? Or do you think that he tries to rear himself in some other fashion or if he makes the ultimate play and tries to start his own new thing, or or do you see him just actually wandering away and going away as they're kind of alluding to? I think he's going to stay away to a decent degree, and I think that what they'll do is they'll just end up like bringing him back with like some pomp and circumstance. Like it could be kind of the like maybe WrestleMania, you know, maybe even as soon as next year with the way that the the news cycle is now, that it's, you know, he steps away and, you know, there'll be a one or two major, you know, public figures that'll fall by, you know, to, to the news. So I, I feel like that's probably going to be the move. I think they take him away long enough. They keep uh, Stephanie and Hunter really as these prominent faces of the company. And then I think Vince kind of becomes a guy that'll do, you know, I think we're probably two years away from, you know, his enshrinement in the Hall of Fame because, you know, that'll be another chance for a big, you know, Vince celebration fest. But I, I, I guarantee that they probably in, you know, bargaining for him to step down, they've probably figured out the ways that he gets to still, you know, drink in some of that spotlight. Cause I think you were right that, you know, the click and then the attitude era and everything, you know, he's, he, he definitely fell in love with the fact that the people loved him. Um, but once again, I think that they probably helped explain that it's like, you know, you, you push too hard right now and people are going to want to push back, but you, you step away with grace and they'll accept you. So I think, I think he'll become a bit of an attraction, whether it's, you know, unveiling a new, you know, universal world heavyweight joint title, you know, all that kind of bullshit. So that's, that's my take is I, I think they'll successfully keep him away by letting him get moments where it's just him getting to drink in the adoration of the fans. Yeah, I, I think you're dead on. I, he'll definitely probably be the opening for a WrestleMania. He, I believe strongly with Triple H at the helm that they will implement some sort of like tournament and probably name it after him. Um, 
I think that, yeah, that that's the best way to give him just enough of a taste to his credit. One thing I have to go back and say that, like, I will say that, like, for all the horrible stuff he did with some of the talent, he did put himself through that as well. Like he did have plenty of moments where he was stripped down to adjust his underwear in the middle of a ring and be ridiculed. He did have moments where he accepted the stink face from Rikishi. Like, so he did put himself in a role where he was constantly mocked and constantly beat up on. So I do have to give him some credit in that regard, because you're right with that whole persona of being the big boss while also remaining the big boss could be very, very problematic for so many reasons. But um, that that is one of the things that kind of eases my perception of him. I, I think it's very important that they manage him in that regard, though, that they keep him away. I believe he's old enough to be smart enough to stay off of excessive social media and stuff like that. You know, I could see him doing the interview circuit. In fact, I think he'd be wise to. Uh, especially to get out in front of the inevitable eight part, you know, dark side of the ring that's coming for him. But, you know, I, I think it's, it truly is an end of an era. And I'm very excited and curious to see what it leads to. And, you know, as much as, you know, I can't condone some of the behavior, I also at the same time have to say that that was the mastermind of something that has contributed so much joy <laughs> in my life. So, it's definitely with mixed feelings viewing it. No, I, I completely agree. I think I think it's a case of, you know, the the man he ended the days of the territory. You know, I think he saw it, it wasn't necessarily just that, you know, he did it. I think that he saw that the world was going to get smaller. That, you know, having a wrestler who could go to a different town. And all of a sudden, you wouldn't know the story. You wouldn't know that they lost in the last town because, you know, he had to put over the local champ. I think he saw the way the world was changing and, you know, had wrestling change with it. You know, he, he can make fun of it, but all the things that, you know, it became, you know, sports entertainment and not pro wrestling, that the belts became titles, you know, that they were, you know, WWE superstars. Like, I, I think he was ahead of the curve. And I think it was just the matter that, you know, I think, I mean, we've seen it, that anyone who stays, you know, around in power and under the spotlight for this long, you know, inevitably the times are going to overcome that. But I think it was just that, that, you know, I think, you know, there there is a reprehensible behavior. I think that, you know, his booking and his storylines were becoming stale. But, you know, it's it's difficult when you were used to doing it. And maybe a couple people who had a, you know, one eight one nine hundred phone line would be giving away the, the dirt. And now it's like, you know, you go on to any wrestling website and you're going to find out what's happening. So, no, I, I, I'm with you. I think uh, it, it's going to be interesting from a career retrospect. I, I know there were talks about, uh, you know, a special that has, you know, been paused for now, which, you know, doesn't surprise me. But at the same time, I think that, yeah, you're right. We're going to get a lot of interviews with him. I think we're going to get, you know, the story of him going, you know, I, I've heard some of the crazy stories about how, you know, the one group of promoters got together and we're talking about like getting a hitman to take out Vince because he was coming for all of them. And, you know, I think those stories that are, are going to come to light, a, a great, you know, multi-part story, but, yeah, I think it, it wasn't how we predicted it, but I think in the, the grand scheme of things, that may, may be what's best because I think in the sports ownership thing, you know, nothing was worse than even, you know, the great Al Davis towards the end of his run when he's 
still, you know, pulling strings on the draft board and taking the speedy receiver at 17 or something when it's just like, Oh no, like just no, Al, you know, don't, don't do it. I think, you know, it's, it's definitely a way to go, but if he had just, you know, drugged the company down a few runs with bad booking to the end, you know, I think people would also look at him in a different light. So I think, I think it's onwards and upwards from here, but yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly been a hell of a ride. Yeah. And honestly, even though I wasn't a big fan of the booking, like I am, you know, there's a part of me who's glad that he got that last little uh, thing in WrestleMania. Um, just because, you know, he, he was an in-ring talent as well, which is, I think, one of the things that he probably prided himself on more than he cared to admit, um, you know, publicly being the boss. But, um, yeah, I, I think couldn't say it better myself, so I think that's a great way to wrap it up, unless you have any last thoughts on the retirement of Vincent K. McMahon. No, I think I think probably it's, it's best summed up in that, at that WrestleMania, we, we saw the way that a, a new and exciting young man can stake a stunner with Theory's spectacular leap. And then we saw the way that a man who probably shouldn't be taking stunners anymore do, and Vince's very feeble attempt to take one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 good, because it could have only gotten worse and worse had it gone. I think we're kind of seeing that with JR on the mic um it's like as much as i love you man like this is probably the time to go out to pasture because uh the, every time you open your mouth it's getting more and more problematic so You're so right i mean like i said one of my favorite parts the only reason it stands out that it was i forget her name but she's the one that's married to uh the guy from chef or cooking impossible or whatever um the uh, robert irvine but um yeah, I'll just never forget that it was JR having to convince Vince McMahon that people, the masses watch Asian porn. <laughs> and I don't know what's funnier, the fact that that's what convinced Vince McMahon or the fact that JR is the expert on what porn porn data usage and metrics. So, um, but yeah, that seems like a great way to leave it off. So thank you so much for listening. It's been the Hollywood Brunettes Wrestling Podcast. 